Hello, I'm Sharon Hollis. I'm the President of the Uniting Church in Australia Assembly. Welcome to my podcast, Dwelling. I'm really hoping that with this podcast, I can bring to you some of the rich, deep conversations I get to have as President of the Uniting Church. everyone and welcome back to my podcast dwelling. I'm Sharon Hollis and I'm recording this on the lands of the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people and I pay my respects to their elders past and present. Today I'm really delighted to be joined by Sam Gledhill who um, works at Uniting Care National. Sam welcome to my podcast. Thanks Sharon, really glad to be here. Um, Sam it's great to have you. I'm just wondering can you tell the listeners um, what it is you do at Uniting Care and what drew you to the role that you're doing at Uniting Care? Yeah no worries. So um, I'm actually a senior advisor here at Uniting Care um, and I specialise particularly in First Nations peoples policy because um, I'm actually a First Nations person myself and um, I'm a Murray proud Murray woman from North Queensland, Um, but I currently reside on the cold, cold lands of the Ngunnawal people here in Canberra. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, you were asking what drew me to the role. Um, So, basically, I have an interesting history. I sort of grew up in church and um, have always had a value and a desire to work with people. Um, And I actually thought I'd end up doing sort of ministry and some sort of, you know, preaching type role. Um, But in the end, long story short, I ended up um, working for the Australian government as a grad. And um, in the end, yeah, came to Canberra because my passion is about my people. And um, I really wanted to make a difference um, for our people on the ground and, you know, really change lives basically because lots of people go, because I'm also a qualified teacher and they, you know, lots of people said, oh, we need Indigenous teachers. And I was like, well, teaching is only part of the picture and I think we actually need to change the policy. Mm. So I came to Canberra and worked for government and, but my heart is, has always been in church and in the faith spaces. And uh, when this role came up and I thought I can get paid to be a part of, you know, a church organisation. <laughs> Um, and do the things I'm passionate about. So why not have a go? And um, here I am almost a year later, um, loving working for something that's an organisation that is has such high values in terms of, you know, what I believe in um, in regards to people and, and faith. And so at United Care National, I, I imagine quite a few people um, aren't aware of what their aspirations are around First Nations issues. What what are the key um changes that Uniting Care National are looking to advocate for or what what kinds of issues are they wanting to to work in in First Nations? Yeah so obviously um, we're connected very closely to the church and so one of the strategic policies and um, desires of the church is justice for First Peoples Mm. and so um, which is so exciting because what that looks like is a lot of things in terms of um, addressing economic inequality but also self-determination and, um, you know, the United Nations recognition of Indigenous peoples as well. So um, it's really quite exciting to be in this space. And uh, given that the current, the new government has mm. that it's fully supporting um, a referendum for a voice to, pe- for a voice to parliament, um, it's just such a massive, massive um, step for us. So, you know, in terms of 
what we're trying to achieve in this space, you know, in the uh, independence and and life change for our people. That that's what the voice represents for us. And of course, that's connected in um, directly to the Uluru statement as well. So you know, the government's indicated it wants to support the full statement, mm. and we completely agree and support that. Um, but obviously, the first step is an actual uh, referendum on a constitutionally enshrined voice to parliament which is really exciting. And will that be a focus for your work, the, the voice, advocating for the voice? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's, we sort of, we met at the end of last year as a network um, to discuss what our priorities would be for the coming year and potentially even a strategic plan. And, um, you know, the voice to parliament has now become the priority yep. <laughs> at the top of the list because um, what people don't realise is, you know, once we get um, recognised, government recognised, you know, constitutional recognition at that level, it means we can start making decisions in partnership with government mm-hmm. and co-design and policy that is is what we want and what we actually believe will work best. And so that's the major difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's... I guess the other side of that too is is that um, up till now, government has still been able to have a say and made decisions on behalf of our people Mm. um, that haven't necessarily been great for us. And the Northern Territory Emergency Response um, is an example of that. And so this really, you know, is a lever, um, you know, because people might go, oh, you know, there's so many things in closing the gap and we, you know, we address particularly for Indigenous peoples, we see ourselves as holistic. We don't just say, oh, you know, this is a priority health or education is a health. Is it, sorry, education is a priority. We, we see ourselves as holistic. And so healing mm. and all of those things happen holistically. Um, and so for us to be able to start with the referendum and a voice to parliament means we actually get to have a say from the very beginning rather than at the end, which is usually what happens when a policy is implemented. <laughs> it starts to happen on the ground and then, you know, the reality is, is they evaluate it and go, oh, six months later or a year later, this doesn't work and it never mm. has worked. And so, um, you know, that's sort of the history with policy in Indigenous affairs. It's people are writing these great policies that don't really reflect the needs of the people on the ground and so we're still dealing with the same issues. Um, you know, that my parents dealt with. So, you know, it's a really significant opportunity. Um, it's, you know, it's a chance for us all to make history, a second major referendum mm. for our people, um, for everyone to get involved in. So, you know, it, I, we see it as a lever, a lever yeah. that opens doors to do everything else that we want. It's not as if what we're currently doing is working in a spectacular fashion, is it? Like... <laughs> Well, um, you know, I believe the government is committed. I think, yeah. you know, the closing the gap targets and the closing the gap agreement is a unique agreement mm. has been signed off by the Coalition of Peaks, um, which is Indigenous peak bodies around the country. Um, so, again, that's a first, you know, that we've actually been recognised in that process. Mm. Um, but, again, the, the Productivity Commission re- did a report last week and, Yes, we're starting to see improvement, but as the Uluru Statement says, there's systemic 
systemic issues and mm. um, until we continue to include the full history of Australia and include and accept and acknowledge the ramifications of colonisation on First Nations people, um, you know, and actually consistently implement cultural safety into our mm. processes, um, it really doesn't make a difference. You can, yeah. you can write the best policy in the world but if you're actually not acknowledging how how important culture is to our people, um, it's our lives, it's it's our identity, and until you actually incorporate that into all of your processes and systems, you're actually missing the point. Yeah, and I think um, you're. I mean, the opportunity to participate in history should get all of us um, engaged. But I think to that commitment to the whole of the Uluru statement, not just the voice, but um, and I think it probably the rest of it is even more, you know, like it's more confronting in a way because we have to confront, we have to make treaties, we have to confront the truth as well. We can't just stop with the voice. Yeah, and I think that's that's why, you know, we do need to recognise it is the full statement that we're supporting, mm. we're not just supporting a, a referendum for the voice. But but again, we have to start somewhere. Yeah. And as, as the saying goes, Rome wasn't built in a day. No. Um, and so... Um, you know, at this point in time, the voice and a referendum on the voice will change legislation to give us the rights to actually make a difference. And so, you know, that's where you start and then you build those other things into that. Um, but, you know, one of the things we've done is as a network, we have like a yarn up and we had a discussion recently about what is the voice and what does it actually mean? And we did the pub, what I call the pub test. Um, you know, just asking people, do you know what the voice is? Do you know what the Uluru statement is? And so, you know, and this is for people in our services, not the general community or mm. public. Um, and the response was overwhelming um, that people just didn't really get it and didn't understand what it meant. And so it became really clear that um, this is actually a massive opportunity just to educate people mm. about what, a voice is and what the even what the Uluru statement is and why do we actually need it you know why is this important to us as a community um because you know we one of the concerns that we encounter in this country is that you know we we can hold a referendum but you know the negative impact of an of an unsuccessful one can mm. be quite disappointing um because the long-term effects are that you know these issues can just disappear and go off the public out of the public mindset so it's really you know as an opportunity for us as a community to just be able to just even just have a yarn with someone and say hey do you know what this is all about mm -hmm. you know what do you think about it even just you know because if if we all just talk to one person about it you know, it just really gives everyone a chance to connect with the issue. And, you know, we reflected on the fact that um, the marriage equality vote was successful recently. And, mm. you know, the reason, one of the reasons they felt it was successful is is because people just understood that it means supporting our community and, and just really giving everyone the right to have, you know, equal rights to access mm. to marriage. So, you know, we're trying to do it in a way that simplifies the issue for everybody and but still respects it, um, but just helps people to understand why we as a community want to support it. Mm. 
So listeners, there's quite a challenge for us all. One is to make sure we know and understand the voice um, and the Uluru Statement. And there's the website, the Uluru Statement website's got amazing resources on it to, to understand that. But the challenge there to once you once you think you understand it, have a conversation with some people about it and see what they understand. And I think you're right, create just that groundswell of amongst ordinary people that that this is we this really matters to who we are as as a you know as the lands we now call Australia and that it's something we can do collectively as a group of people. So I hope people take up that challenge um, to really start to get engaged with the 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 kind of just very gentle advocacy that happens around friendship and and connection and so on. So um, I think that's great. And I know that you're working on helping us all be better engaged over time in this conversation. So um, we, we, we won't leave people bereft of resources to do that. <laughs> Sam, I was wanting to ask you, so you and I have met all online, um, but often <laughs> had chats in meetings and so on. Yeah. Um, and you work for Uniting Care, which is the community, you know, the, sort of the peak, the national collective of our, or gathering of our, all of our community service organisations. Yeah. Um, and um, and you get to meet um, other parts of the United Church. And I wondered, um, you've been in the role a year, what have you noticed about um, the Uniting Church and Uniting Care and Uniting and the various other names our services have um, and its engagement with First Nations people? Oh, wow, that's a really, that's a really big question, Sharon. <laughs> I've been preparing based on some other questions that you said. So I um look, I think the first the first massive thing that I see when I, you know, engage with everyone is everyone's really committed. There's so much goodwill um towards our people and everyone's really wanting to help and support in the best way possible. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the experiences I've had in a lot of different environments, particularly in gov government, because, you know, people think government have had a lot of experience with our people, but the truth is they haven't. Mm. Um, and so often it's actually just encouraging people just to ask the questions um, and just, you know, to help people to feel comfortable. It's okay not to have all the answers. Yep. I think that's really where we're starting from as well, from, from a point of, you know, of relationship and, just coming together and saying, look, we don't know all the answers. We haven't always gotten it right, but we actually are willing. We're really willing to actually, you know, to support you in this space and we're really keen to do to do what we can. And, you know, I think your your recommitment at the um, at the assembly gathering uh, back in May, I think it was, mm. to our people in the covenant and the acknowledgement of that covenant um, you know, acknowledging that maybe we haven't done everything as a church that we could have. But I think, you know, as I've said to you before, I think it's also really good to acknowledge that this church is really innovative and it's really forward thinking and very progressive. And, you know, um, long before the government said sorry, this church said sorry. Long before they had a Congress, the government had a Congress, this church in the 80s had a Congress, you know, and developed a covenant with our people. So, you know, I think there's a real sense that um, the church is willing and, and there's a lot of goodwill to do things for our people. Um, but I think there's also still learnings to be had. Mm. Um, and, you know, because even just the terms justice for first people, people go, well, what does that really mean? You know, and I hear the words that I continue to recite sometimes is a bit of a government speak, but it's also a description of, 
you know, we're looking for long-term sustainable outcomes for our people. Mm. Um, and so that actually means not just having a conversation. It means, well, what does that look like? It means we start to advocate on behalf of, you know, a voice to parliament and we advocate on behalf of raising the age um, of, you know, incarceration so that, you know, children aren't being sent to jail. It means, you know, the other big piece agenda, um, election sort of commitment that we were looking at too is housing mm. um, because housing is foundational for, for people to have a good life. It's a lever, you know. If you've statistics and reports show us that if a person has a safe, stable home environment and a place to live, they're more likely to have access to good a good education and good food um, and, and a job, mm. you know, less likely to participate in the justice system. So, you know, there's there's a reality when you start to look at what this means. There's so many things that connect to each other um, and leave housing is just one of those levers as well that provides um, a foundation for those other things that bring about good outcomes. So, you know, I think that's a roundabout way of saying, yes, everyone's really committed. Yeah. Um, and, and the other amazing thing I think is... Um, this organisation or the organisations that are part of this network are doing some really amazing things. And I think the escaping violence package is one of those or payments is one of those things that, you know, this church, um, the, well, the services supports. And it's a massive, massive commitment, you know. So there's definitely some really amazing things happening all around our services and our networks. Yeah. Oh, that's encouraging to hear. And I think... Um... You know, one of the things for those of us that are in the more churched part of the Uniting Church is really just to keep being aware of the, the amazing things that our, our agencies do do and deliver. Um, um, so that's really um, great encouragement. Um, what? So you talked a bit about that we've got this history, we've got the covenant and the preamble and, um, and Congress that formed itself and then asked to be in relationship with the Uniting Church um, what can we, what would, what are the things you'd say to us to help us better live out of that, to better walk together with First Nations people? Look, I think a key part of it is that relationship. Yes. You have to have that relationship and that respect. And a big part of it is just even starting, you know, through listening, mm. you know, and um, it's so incredible to see that there is that relationship. There's a basis for that relationship between the Congress and, um, the church and um, but I think it is building that relationship and and it's a journey you know mm. it's not going to happen overnight um, we can't expect that everyone's going to have wraps and everyone's going to have um, even just cultural safety strategic plans and things like that um, but it's about being willing and open to do those sorts of things to take us to the next level because um, you know I think one of the things that I've experienced in the church is we, because we are caring and we care about people, um, it's, I think sometimes we take it for granted that there are deeper issues. And one of those issues is land rights. And, mm. you know, we've, as a church, have acknowledged that um, in that First Nations peoples are the sovereign owners of these lands. But what does that actually mean in terms of practical, tangible things? Well, you know, the church owns land. Mm. Is there a capacity from the church to actually give back land to our people? 
you know, because that's that's one of the key foundations of our culture is our land and our connection to land. So, you know, it's about starting to have those discussions about what are the practical things because, you know, it's not just about service provision. And I think mm. that, I think sometimes people get caught up in the service provision thing and and maybe even, you know, the caring role and the pastoral care role. Um, but let's look at what are the tangible things that contribute to those things. Um, loss of land has been a real issue and it's one of the reasons why, you know, people are so dispossessed and, um, you know, how can we reach, support our First Nations communities to reconnect with the land, mm. um, you know, and is there how, you know, there are there practical ways that we, we can reconnect them with their lands? So, you know, that's I think that's one really clear example of where we can walk together um you know i think we're also doing other you know we're recognizing significant events and um the website's become i was just having we had an updated our staff meeting today and i think there's a lot of great information and resources there so you know there's i guess it's even just being aware of the resources that are available to us um in terms of engaging with with First Nations communities. And the other thing, thing is um, that's a really great starting point to start with the church's resources. But, you know, there's nothing wrong with also doing a Google. And I think one of the good things about government is, and even just Indigenous organisations, a lot of them have done things around protocols with engagement and, and have indicated, like in the ACT particularly, um, we have a, the elected body here and they have an agreement with the state governments in terms of the outcomes they're wanting to achieve. And so, you know, if you're in, in this region, you can go and have a look at that agreement and already and go and say, oh, these are actually the priorities of the local people. This is mm -hmm. what we're looking for. This is what we're trying to achieve. And so you don't have to reinvent the wheel. It's just about seeing what resources are already available um, to give you an indication of what, our people have already said and what they've actually already agreed to, you know. So I think there's there's a wealth of knowledge out there. It's just sometimes we don't know where to start. Yep. It sounds like Google can be our friend in this sometimes. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Yeah. And just for those of you that are wondering, the website that we're talking about is um, on the Assembly website. There's a new section called Living the Covenant Locally and we're just gathering all the resources that the assemblies and synods um, ha have created um, that help us to engage some of these questions um, so that we can do some of the learning ourselves too, that we don't, um, you know, second peoples, we take responsibility for our own learning and we don't become a burden to First Nations people with, um, you know, when there's knowledge already freely available that 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 we can access and, and get on with and, and and begin when we do begin the conversations, we begin it with some knowledge and some awareness and um some capacity for that conversation. So um it's it's been worked on really hard and lots of people have done some good work and we'll keep adding to it um as the resources grow. So I think that's that's really good. Um we've talked a bit about voice and land and um and so on. Um, you know, if you could kind of wave a magic wand, Sam, and, um, you know, <laughs> the top three things for, for, um, for First Nations people in this land could be achieved with the twinkle of a wand, what are the things you really hope for for your people? 
Yeah, look, um, yeah, obviously the full implementation of the Uluru Statement is would be key to that. Yeah. I think that would be... It'd be nice that. if we could do that with a quick wave of a wand. Yes, <laughs> definitely, definitely. And I think, you know, when people look closely at the statement, it's quite complex. Um, but the three key aspects mm. is a voice, truth and tree, and the three of them come together to complement each other and... You know, it's it's just the big picture for us. Um, it's about acknowledging us as the First Nations peoples of this country and um, actively, intentionally incorporating us into the constitution, um, firstly, but also then, you know, following through and recognising that, yeah, we never gave up this land. We never actually, you know, seeded it I guess is the word isn't it mm. um, and so that there is an acknowledgement that needs to take place through the treaty process and then also then as part of that telling the truth and mm. the full story that you know this nation had a prehistory to colonization a rich history um, that you know was continuing and that we bring a richness to the the full story, um, good and bad, um, you know, because the bottom line is is um, Australia was a colony. It was early. It was early. It had limited people, so we became the labour. We became, mm -hmm. you know, the stockmen. We became the, um, unfortunately, the house. You know, slaves. You know, I don't want to use the word slave, but the house. You know. Um, servants and um, there's a connection there's a story that's connected to that because at the end of the day we weren't just our children weren't just stolen um, our wages were stolen mm. you know and even being paid appropriately so um, you know Australians are very proud of our history they're very proud of the fact that we have the spirit of the Anzacs we're very proud of um, the fact that we are fighters, we call ourselves fighters, and we everyone we want everyone to have a go, mm. you know, everyone a fair go, um, and so really our people are a part of that story. Mm. You know, we fought us alongside them at Anzacs. You know, we 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 were Anzacs. You know, yeah. um, so, and I think that's really where the gaps are. Is we want to be included in that proud history. Mm. It's a a true history of this nation that we weren't, you know, there's, there's images that I grew up with um, that just, you know, are haunting and it haunts our people of, you know, mm. our community, other people in the, you know, the people I knew, the Aboriginal people I knew were the, the drunks in the park and, yeah. you know, the, where, the, where the dregs of society, you know, and, um, and yet when I finally heard the true stories and saw the true stories from you know from the histories because they're there you know it's not like you can go to a museum and you can actually find out those histories mm. and go to university and learn about these histories unfortunately I didn't learn from my parents and my grandparents because they actually had to hide their history and their mm. culture but for the first time when I was 15 I um, was taken on an excursion to the the Museum of West Australia, and I saw how my people fought proudly mm. um, and how they fought and they were massacred. And, you know, this is the other side of the history that 
our own people don't even you know haven't been able to share proudly because at the end of the day and I can't speak for everyone that's not my goal mm-hmm. um, I know there are many people who have grown up on country and have had their culture their whole lives but for me um, my story isn't the same as theirs and um, you know to finally find out at 15 that I had everything to be proud of and mm. to know that my my own people um, suffered so disastrously, you know, badly at the hands of the colonisers. It was just a complete, complete revolution for me because I realised my people didn't just, you know, they're not just drunks in the mm. park and they're not just the homeless people and they're not just the people who, you know, because unfortunately there are people out there in the community still believe that, yeah, you know, people and that, that we're just old bludgers and that we're just, um, you know, have heaps of kids and you know don't participate and all that sort of stuff and and that's really where you know educating people is such a massive part of this campaign because you know I still and it, and it's disheartening for me when there's still a myth that's perpetuated by the community that says we are we get handouts. Mm. And that we, you know, we get free things, free housing, free, you know, all this sort of stuff and free cars. Um, there's a whole heap of things that, you know, people, there's a misconception that um, we get, you know, privileges that other people don't. <laughs> and yet what people don't realise is um, our people were working on for the doll long before the mainstream community on CDEP so you know there's there's two sides to this story and you know the cashless debit card is and income management has been also something on the agenda particularly mm. at the moment and what people don't realize that that was already enforced to our Indigenous communities in the yeah. NT and Queensland long before um, the, the majority of the community was well the, the mainstream community was included so again we were the guinea pigs. So, you know, there's this continual history of sort of le- gaps that people don't realise that our people have experienced um, that just hasn't been told. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's really exciting and an opportunity to be able to just, you know, that I think, you know, I've got a grand nephew now and he's he's um, he's about to turn two and I, I see his story. He's two. My dad is 78. I'm... I'm 45 and you know the stories our stories differ because mm. the story is going to be even better because you know my dad wasn't even he was classed as flora and fauna mm. 67 referendum and you know this is the benefit of what we're seeing is you know it's going to be better for the next generation and it is better for the next generation but we still have to you know there are things we still have to do to make that happen. Mm. I think um, I've never really thought about that, I, the notion of truth, like the truth, <coughs> I, I guess I'd thought about that as, you know, facing the co- colonial truth of our nation. Um, and, I mean, because I'm a second person, I guess I'd thought about it from that point of view. But that was that sense that truth-telling also gives tells the truth for the for First Nations people, particularly for those for whom the truth, the whole truth hasn't always been apparent to them. I, I, thank you for that. That's really um incredibly helpful way to to realize that it's a very multifaceted truth telling we've got to engage in um yeah and it, and it doesn't belong to any one group it, it has to belong has to be driven by first nations people and belong to them 
and we we come along for the ride and and for owning who we are and what we've you know the privilege we've gained from colonization as second people so um thank you for that that was amazing um just finally this is such like powerful work you're doing um you know important work but hard work that you're doing um you know and you we talked a bit earlier about the referendum and you know the plebiscite no no for people in the lbgtiq community while it was ultimately a triumph it was quite painful to be talked about in public debate and, and i just wondered um what sustained you for the hard work? How do you how do you get up each day and go to work and not feel defeated? Yeah, wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, like I said, it's it's a life commitment. Um, yeah, it doesn't finish for me um, when I turn the computer off at night. Yeah. Um, and it didn't start for me when I started this job. It's yep. my life. And so yeah. you're right. It does have to, I've, I had to learn how to actually live in this space because, um, you know, I worked in the government and I saw how one minute, you know, under one government we'd have something and then another government we, it would be just taken away. And so mm-hmm. that's sort of been the journey um, for our people is one minute we get, great things and then the next thing it's taken away um and so that's what the voice department actually represents Mm. and so um yeah look i've my faith has been a massive part of that um i have you know i just i think if i didn't believe in something bigger and greater um that can overcome the impossible i think they would I would be discouraged and I can mm. see why so many people in our community is uh have no hope mm. um because you know no matter what color you are or where you come from if you haven't got hope you know you what's the point mm. um and I think the suicide rate speaks to that so mm. you know um that gives me a hope that there's there is more and there's something bigger than this because you know otherwise it would just be too painful mm. Um, and the other thing is I've learned to celebrate the small things. Yep. Um, you know, we got an apology. Mm. So let's celebrate it. Let's not focus on what we didn't get. Let's focus on what we did get. And, you know, um, I think you have to in a space that's so controversial um, and where people are dying every day, mm. you know, that's that's the reality of what we live with is, you know, we're making policy to change lives, but at the end of the day, people die every day. Um, and those people, you know, for me, what was hard too was I had to reconcile the fact that, you know, the policy we make it doesn't affect the person in a community 5,000 k's away. It affects me. Mm. You know, this is who I am and, and it affects my family directly. And so, you know, I had to learn to actually be able to separate myself and focus on what I can do and what I, you know. So, yeah, I believe my faith has helped and I've had some really great people speak into my life, especially First Nations mentors mm. who have been in the space longer than me, <laughs> um, who learnt, you know, because it is it is a fight. And, mm. you know, I, expi- I described it to someone recently and I just said it's like going into a war zone every day. Mm embracing myself you know and um yeah I I I know that I have some really great people in my life that 
um, come around me and, you know, it is about that's really what it comes down to is family, faith and and I also have a really great supportive workspace. I think that if you don't have that support in your workplace um, to do the things that I'm doing, um, it would make it really difficult mm. because you just, it's not just a head thing, it's a heart thing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, I'm, I'm glad you've got those people because I think, yeah, those of us not, you know, it's it's personal for you in a way it'll never be for me and I think it's hard to appreciate how hard that can be. So um, it, it's, I'm glad you've got those people and it's also just a really good reminder to us as we as we do move into the political debate about, about voice and treaty and truth to be really careful and tender um, with how we do that to, to really pay attention to to the most impacted when we think about what we're going to say and do and um, and be mindful um, yeah be, be a bit conscious and self-aware as we as we engage in that because it can get you know political debate can often get very willing and and as you say this is the this is your life this is the life of all First Nations people in this country so let's be careful when we have that conversation as well as engaged so um sam i'm so grateful for this conversation today i'm so grateful that you work for uniting care national we are blessed and fortunate to have you on our team um and your leadership um has already been impressive and i know will continue to be um in this role and um i hope that together uh our services the uniting church and the work of uniting care national we can really um make some progress um, in the next few years on, on these really important heart, heart of the nation matters. Um, so thanks for being part of our team and and particularly not just being part, but being a leader in, in the Uniting Church for us. I'm really grateful. So thank you very much for being with me today. No worries. Thank you, Sharon, for the privilege of, you know, just being here and 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 for, you know, having the willingness to have these conversations because they're not always easy and I just think it's really exciting that we get to actually talk about the issues and not, you know, hide them anymore. It's been a privilege. Thank you. No worries. Take care.